Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Astrum Lux Lucis. Welcome to another episode of On the Record. Today's very special guest is Jackie Otero. She is the program director of the Entertainment and Music Business Bachelor's Programs at Full Sail University, and she also owns her own consulting business, music business consulting business, Jackie O Media. Please welcome Jackie Otero. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you, Jackie. So let's dive right in because you have got just uh, an amazing background of things that you've done in the music and entertainment industry. Um, tell us about that that little girl with the dream. What what was the <laughs> what was that moment in your life that said you know I want to get into the entertainment industry or did you fall into it by accident? Kind of what was your your beginnings? Oh gosh. Okay. So let me think. Going back, I was. First of all, I was a horrible singer and musician and all of that, but I think it was like my secret dream to somehow be great at that. Um, I would write songs when I was like eight years old. I would write songs and try to play them on my Casio keyboard. And I had a little group with my friend that we, you know, we created a, a photo and a logo and put it into a cassette tape and, you know, just I don't know. I think I was drawn to music just really early and just wanting to be a part of it. And, you know, when you're little, you think you're good at everything, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, you could be a writer and an artist and a musician. And the older you get, you're sort of like, well, that's not really my strength. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I just like I always wanted to look at the liner notes of every, you know, cassette tape or record that I had. I was always interested in who all the different players were. Um, who was working at the record label, which label it was from, who was the producer and the manager. And I don't, I have no idea why that interested me, but I just was always interested in those liner notes. And I wanted to be in them. I don't know. I was like, you know, I don't, I eventually kind of realized I'm not going to be the one on stage, but I want to be thanked in the liner notes. I want to be in there somewhere. So <laughs> I think I knew that really early as a kid. And I had, I had one of those, um, radio cassette players that had the dual cassette where you could, you know, kind of edit a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I used to record songs off the radio and then I would cut it off um, when the DJ came back on and I would pretend like I was the DJ and I would do the, (laughs) the middle part and then I would record again when the next song came on and I made these tapes. And so I don't know, it just always fascinated me. I I think it was just kind of in me really early on. Nice. What do you, where do you think that, because you, you're showing some very entrepreneurial um, spirit there. <laughs> uh, where do you think that came from? Yeah. Uh, well, my dad was an entrepreneur, um, still is. Actually, he just retired from his business this year. Um, so I think subliminally, subconsciously, whatever it is, I think I always saw him as um, the owner of his own company. And so that just was a normal thing for me to see. Um, so I'm sure that's where it came from. Yeah. And so as you started getting older, high school type of thing, um, what kind of uh, career choices, thoughts were you having then about what, what direction you wanted to go, a career path? Were you, were you getting more narrowly defined on what it was you wanted to do in the industry? Well, I always loved entertainment, like every type of media possible. I love movies. Like I had movie posters all over my room. I had a huge CD collection. I love books. I love magazines. Um, I watch a ton of television still. You know, I just, I love consuming media. And so I always kind of thought I wanted to work in something media related. But 
I think as I was getting kind of prepared for college and all of that, I was also kind of drawn into athletics as a, as a very young child, So I and I was good at it. And so I ended up kind of using athletics as more of my focus on how to get into college. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I used that to get recruited, um, you know, by some top colleges. And I always kind of felt like I fooled them into letting me in. I went to Yale for my undergraduate degree, and it was sort of like maybe like nobody realizes I'm only here because – I mean, yes, I'm a good student, but I'm a good softball player, and that's why they brought me here. And so when I was at Yale, you know, my main focus was playing softball and trying to, like, stay above water in my academics. <laughs> and they didn't have any kind of entertainment-related majors there. I mean, they had film. They had film studies, but it was more um, theory and history of film. And um, I ended up being a sociology major because I remember them telling us at orientation, just take the classes that you enjoy like don't worry about what career you're going to go into which is like the opposite (laughs) of where I am now at Full Sail we are super career oriented yeah so it was the exact opposite it was like don't worry about a career you'll be fine just take classes that fascinate you and and enrich you you know and so I I gravitated towards sociology classes which is the study of culture really and in mm-hmm. society, and I pretty much every paper that I could write about entertainment, that's what I wrote it on. Like I wrote a sociological kind of analysis of music videos, um, gender and racial stereotypes in music videos. And I kind of used that as an opportunity to just watch a lot of MTV, because this is before YouTube, you know, okay. watch a lot of MTV and take a lot of notes on music videos. Um, I wrote my senior paper on um, the underground film movement in um, – in Spain under the dictatorship of Franco, you know, so it's like they were sociological papers and studies, but they were all entertainment focused. And so it really, the first time I actually did any kind of work in the entertainment business was um, my roommate was from the San Francisco Bay area. And I really wanted to go out there. I had never been there before. So I went out there for a summer with her. It was between my sophomore and junior years. And I was just applying for an internship. And I applied and got accepted for an internship at a talent agency. And I was like, perfect. You know, I can kind of do anything at a talent agency. And then when I got out there, they said, oh, no, actually, we have enough interns. And so I didn't actually have it. (laughs) And so within a couple of weeks, I actually started working at a record store for the summer in Berkeley. And so I just was around music constantly. So I love that. And it was sort of like working at a record store. You got all the inside scoop on the new releases that were coming out. You got you got a lot of promos that you could take home for free and people just talked music all day long. So I was in mm-hmm. heaven. Yeah. And then I just happened to get a call from somebody who had my resume still like in a pile and it was from an artist management company. And I ended up interning for them for the summer and I was just like, this is my dream job. I want to be an artist manager. Wow. So what was it that you liked about artist management? Cause as myself as an artist, like if I could find somebody to manage me, I would be in heaven. <laughs> like, so right. what do you like about it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, the first band I worked for, they're like, how did we find you? Like, how are you so invested in us? And you're not even a musician. And um, I don't know. I just, I think just being close to artists when you're not an artistic, like I've never thought of myself as an artistic person. Um, I just wanted to be close to it, but I wanted to be behind the scenes. And so I was like the third person at this artist management company. It was the main manager, his assistant, and then me, the intern. And I got to, we were all sitting in close proximity so I could listen to every phone call. You know, it's like I just could hear everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I was just like, wow, this, it was a band that was on a major record label and they had a big release and they were featured in some big movies and they just had a lot of really cool things going on. And I was like, so I could sit at a desk. And I could help with negotiating deals and putting together schedules and doing marketing. And I could just do all this on the sidelines, but be close to everything. And that just, I think it just fit my skill set. You know, I've always been like a a kind of an academic person. You know, I'm a studier. I love to research. I love to write. Um, I love talking to people, but I don't want to perform. Like I don't want to be on the stage. So that's sort of everything that the artist manager does. So it just seemed like a natural fit. Yeah. And so was that the first band that you've ever managed or had any insight into the music industry? That was your first thing? 
Yeah, that was the first band. They were a band called Stroke Nine, and they were on Universal at the time. They had a hit called Little Black Backpack in the late nineties. And um, so what? And they were in the, what, they were on the soundtrack of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which was a Kevin Smith movie, and I was a huge <laughs> Kevin Smith fan, so I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what kind of things did you end up doing for them? Because they're kind of already signed, so it would seem right. that and I wasn't their job manager. Was I was easier. the Right. I was the intern. So I was just kind of yeah. there to do whatever they needed me to do. But, you know, like they um, they had collected all these email addresses from their tour, but they hadn't done anything with it yet. So they actually gave me this huge map of America. It was like <laughs> oh a physical God. map. And they had me map out where all of these super fans were located. And they wanted oh me to organize their street team. So, I mean, literally, like, this was a very tangible thing. I would just, like, put little sticky notes on all these different cities and kind of count up how many contacts we had in each city, and I selected a point person in each region to, you know, be our main contact person so we could send out promotional materials, and they could then organize their own little street team. And the cool thing was that they kind of gave me that as my project, and I could organize it how I wanted to. And then I was the liaison who was talking to all these street team um, leaders. And then so I mentioned that they were, they had a, a pretty prominent um, placement in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. It was a song, Kick Some Ass. It's like at the end of the movie when they all go get revenge on everybody that did them wrong. And so <laughs> because they were in that movie, um, we got to organize a private screening um, before it came out. And we got to invite all of the street team leaders. And so oh, wow. I was kind of in charge, I was in charge of that part of it. So I got to help kind of organize them and also reward them for, you know, so it's all about fan engagement. So I kind of got involved in that pretty early on. Nice. How did you find it was working with the fans? Was it pretty easy or how was that experience? Yeah, actually it was. I mean, they were just so enthusiastic and it's like there's all these people out there that you don't have to pay them to do a thing for you. They just love the band and they love the music. So they're just willing to do anything that they can get their hands on. So it was a really positive experience. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. My theme for the year is Say Yes to Success. And guess what? Our annual International Conference and Business Expo that's coming up August 6th through the 9th, we're going to have not only a wonderful lineup of speakers and thought leaders like CNN's Soledad O'Brien or Matthew Knowles, the famous father of the famous Beyonce, and Gene Smart from Designing Women, but this year you are going to be part of the experience. This is one of, if not the only conference that will balance your experience between learning from the wisdom of great speakers to hands-on living it through laser coaching, journaling, and interacting and sharing with other conference attendees. Oh yeah, and we have the best party in town on Saturday night, dancing till you drop to one of the best bands in Dallas. Visit eWomenNetwork.com for details and how you can be part of this life-changing experience as you embrace your yes to success. Beautiful job, eWomen. Hi, this is Astrum Lux Lucis, host of On the Record on the EWN Radio Network. We're aligning with North America's number one resource for connecting and promoting women in business, positively influence your business profile and success? Does the idea of positioning your product or service as champion of an exceptional international online platform tailored to women in business sound lucrative? Do you want collaborations with high caliber, like-minded, like-hearted women in business? On the Record sponsorship opportunities will provide you with just that and more. Over half a million women business owners and corporate professionals connected. 1,500 plus women's business events yearly and the largest four-day international conference produced annually. Over a quarter million monthly listeners are eager to learn about your business. Call Tammy Markham at 512-914-3952. That's 512-914-3952 to secure your sponsorship spots today. And we're back on the record. Did you work with more bands that summer or was good because you went on to go to um, New York University to get your master's? Right. That was a little bit later. 
So, yeah. okay, okay, so I finished college. So I was in college in Connecticut. You know, I went, I, I just did it for that summer, went back to school. I actually went abroad. I went to Spain um, that semester and came back, finished college, and then I moved to San Francisco full-time. I was, like, saving up money. I did summer jobs, and I just saved up money, moved out to San Francisco. And my whole goal was to manage bands. So I actually got rehired back at the record store where I was working that summer. I moved to the downtown San Francisco location, started working at the record store, started, I did all kinds of odd jobs. I was a cocktail waitress. I was a substitute teacher. I just kind of did whatever I could do to make a little bit of money. But my goal was to just meet as many musicians as I could and kind of scout talent because I wanted to find a band to manage. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that the first band that I managed, I ended up managing them for five years. It was... (laughs) <laughs> the lead singer was my manager, or he wasn't the manager. He trained me at the record store. And oh, so wow. I met him at my first day at the record store, and we were talking, and I was telling him about what I was interested in and everything, and you, you could kind of see his ears perking up like, oh, my gosh, he <laughs> wants to find a band to manage. And so he invited me out to see him perform, and I was going, I was just trying to learn all the venues. I was just trying to, like, immerse myself in the San Francisco music scene. And so he was playing at this little um, kind of cafe, a little bit, you know, outside of the main area of the city. And I went out there and just watched him perform solo. And I just loved it. I, I was completely hooked. And I couldn't believe that I, you know, met the musician that I was going to work with, like, so quickly. And so I remember us sitting at a, at a bar, at a venue, and just kind of working through the details of how we were going to work together. And he was... It was when he was first compiling a band. Like he had just kind of pieced together a drummer and a bass player and, you know, another guitarist. And he was, it was like at the very budding stages of this band. And I decided to basically be the fifth band member. And they, they treated me like that too. I mean, we, we basically split everything five ways and I went to all the rehearsals. I went to all the shows and I started doing all their booking for them. And I ended up being good at booking. I had never done it before, but they needed to practice and get out to shows. So I was like, all right, let me book your shows. So this was back when, you know, you sent a physical package in the mail with a CD and a photo and a one sheet and you asked to be considered for a slot, you know, so that was what I did. And we all did it together, which was great. The band was really involved, especially the lead singer. I mean, he would kind of do everything with me. So it was very collaborative. But, yeah, we would stuff envelopes and send them out, and I would do all the follow-ups, and I would visit the venues and meet the talent buyers. And and I started developing relationships, and it started to get easier and easier to book shows. So then I started doing it for some other bands, too. It was sort of like they would ask around, how would you get this show? Can you get me a show? You know, it's like – and I was like, sure, throw me 50 bucks a show, and I'll I'll book it for you. So I started doing that for other bands. Nice. And so did you put together any kind of plan, uh, both for yourself and for the bands, like as far as like a a timeline and and how you wanted to go about things, (laughs) just kind of winging it? (laughs) Not really. Yeah, there wasn't a big plan. I mean, I made business cards. You know, I made up a name for my company. I never like registered it or made it official. It was like a fake mm-hmm. company. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but I bought a domain name and that makes it feel real, you know. Yeah. So I had an <laughs> I had an email address with my management company. I had business cards. I made myself letterhead. You know, so I made myself look like a real company. Um but you know, I'd never taken a business class before, you know. <laughs> so I didn't really know what I was doing. And I didn't have a whole lot of plan. It's just we we would get together at least once a week and just kind of strategize, you know, and it happened a little bit more organically rather than putting together like a, a you know, months-long time frame. It was just sort of like, all right, what are our priorities for this month? Mm-hmm. And the cool thing was um, two of the band members were also filmmakers. They, they had gone to film school, and so they loved making videos. So that was one of our main things was, well, let's find a way to capitalize on all these music videos that you guys want to make. So... Like we approached um, a little festival called the Mission Creek um, Art and Music Festival in San Francisco. And I found that it was really hard to get the band to play at the festival. But if you pitch something different that they're not doing, it sort of catches their attention. So when we didn't get a whole lot of, um, you know, traction on trying to book them in the festival, it was like, well, we want to host a indie music video contest. 
and showcased and we want to use and so the band I was managing we actually all hosted this showcase and it brought in a lot of other independent um, filmmakers and musicians who are also making videos and we kind of made it into a community showcase and so that's hmm. how we got to be part of the festival that's pretty clever I like that yeah I so think it's what, about how... seeing what the skill set is you know like what skills do does everybody involved bring to the table and how can we use it to get some attention you know, and every band is going to have different skills, and every manager is going to have a different set of skills, just about trying to leverage that and, you know, get noticed by somebody. What's the farthest that you got that band? We went on a couple of tours. I got to tour with them through the Northeast, and we did West Coast tour. But, you know, we didn't ever, like, get a break. You know, I kind of kept waiting, because I always believed that they were so talented, it was like I just kept waiting for that break, you know, like somebody is going to find us or somebody's going to respond to something. You know, we're getting them on this one kind of podcast. We're first kind of getting going. We were getting them noticed on podcasts, getting them written up on blogs. And it felt like we were getting some traction, but it was like we never reached the tipping point. So, mm. and the band went through lots of different incarnations. I mean, band members came <laughs> and, and went and, you know, um, I always thought it got better as it went along. But, yeah. you know, after a couple of years, I moved to New York and um, ended up going back to school for music business. So I kept managing them from a distance, but you do kind of lose momentum when you're not mm -hmm. in the same city and you don't have yeah. those same, like, weekly brainstorming sessions and all of that. And, and um, you know, I was kind of going in a little bit of a different direction, and then the um, – the main singer, when we finally kind of decided to go our own ways, he was sort of finding more success in another band that he wasn't even the, the front man for. It was just a band that he had joined. And they started touring Europe, and they were, you know, much more successful. So it sort of it wasn't the music that he was more passionate about, but he got to still be in a band that kind of reached the next level of success. Well, that's good that he was flexible, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and he's still doing it. I mean, he's still oh, on awesome. tour all the time. He's playing in multiple bands, and, you know, it's sort of like he's still going for it. So now you're in New York, and you're going to NYU. Um, right. How did that all form? Um, well, okay, so I did all the odd jobs, right, in San Francisco while I was managing bands. I was making, like, no money. And yeah. I had student loans to pay. So, you know, yeah. those are kind of always looming in the background. Mm -hmm. And so about six months in, you know, because you get like the six-month grace period and then you got to start paying back your loans. So I was like, okay, I need to make a little bit more money here. I can't really sustain this. So I kind of went corporate and I got a job at a law firm. And so I was working at the law firm during the day and then I was managing bands on the nights and weekends. And... I did that for about a year and a half, and I really felt like I just sold my soul. I was just mm -hmm. like, I'm not enjoying this. I was in the bank finance department of a corporate law firm, and I just found it so boring. <laughs> and, you know, but it paid the bills. I mean, it was like yeah. a means to an end, you know. Yeah. But I was mm -hmm. just like, I can't do this. And I saw, like, <laughs> I felt like everybody there was miserable. Like, everybody was just kind of doing it because it was good money, but nobody really was passionate. There was nothing creative about it, and it just was soul-sucking, you know. <laughs> so I was just sort of, like, looking for the next step. And, you know, I never studied business. I never studied the music industry. And so I started looking at all these music business graduate programs because I love school. Like, I could be in school forever. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> go back to school. Go to grad school. And I always wanted to go to NYU. Like, when I moved to Connecticut for college, I used to take the train into New York and just kind of dream of living there. And NYU just, I don't know, it was, again, it's, it has that draw for entertainment. It's like all these famous filmmakers went to school there, musicians. I actually just missed Lady Gaga somehow. I mean, we would have been there right about the same time. I'm like, man, I could have been like mm. right next to Lady Gaga in class. Um, wow. <laughs> but, um, you know, it just kind of had that draw. So that was the only grad school I applied to. I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go for NYU and – and the, the funny thing is, it was the one grad school that you didn't have to take the GRE, the standardized test, to get into. Mm. Mm. And so I was like, well, I'm going to take that. If I don't get in, then maybe I'll take the GRE and apply to some other schools. But I'm just going for NYU. And I got in, so I quit my job and actually went to Mexico for the summer and blew some 
blew some of my money that I earned at the law firm, and then I moved to New York in the fall and started school. Now, while you were in school, were you also working with bands and stuff like that? I was, yes. I kept it going. Like, I kept managing that band um, through most of the time when I was in school. And um, I actually met my future business partner on orientation day uh, at NYU. And we had both kind of had the same background. Um, She had been managing bands, um, you know, just like I had been. And we just kind of, we we jived right when we first met each other. And so we ended up taking an entrepreneurship class together. And we decided together to write our business plan and start a business together. And so that's when I launched my first, like, real business, which was called Front Burner Music. And I brought in my client who I had managed from San Francisco, I brought them in as our first client. Um, okay. And then we, we actually went to Australia for summer school. They had a music industry <laughs> class that was being taught in Australia. So I, I got NYU to agree to give me transfer credit if I went there and took it. And so we went to Australia for the summer, and then we, we talent scouted in Australia, and we ended up finding a band out in Sydney to manage as well. So we brought in the two management clients, launched the business, and then – we, we designed it as an artist management company that specializes in music licensing. So I kind of took a turn um, into a specialization, kind of after I learned more about publishing and copyrights, and um, I had some internships without, when I was at NYU, which taught me a ton about how to make money in different ways in the music mm-hmm. industry. I was actually working for um, a manager called Michael Hausman, and he managed and still does uh, Amy Mann, Suzanne Vega, Mark Cohn, and some others. And, you know, they've made some pretty serious money in the industry. And they touring and, you know, all of that. And I saw the money that they brought in from sync licensing. I saw that all these artists were licensing to production companies for film and TV and all that. And I was like, wow, this never occurred to me that you could make this kind of money selling music to businesses. I was completely focused on selling music to fans. You know, mm-hmm. I like I totally missed out on like half of the business. And so <laughs> yeah. um you know, so kind of learning that and seeing some of those different revenue streams, that's what we brought when we started our company. We we wanted to be an artist management firm with a focus and a specialization on music licensing. So we ended up signing um 15 clients total. And so it was really fun, like, getting everything started because we got to just be talent scouts. You know, we're just constantly looking for people that, you know, we wouldn't necessarily manage full-time, but that we would represent for licensing and we would pitch them for placements. Um, so that was really fun. And actually, we signed, two, uh, we signed an undergrad at NYU uh, named Ian Axel. And now he just won his first Grammy this year. Uh, he's part mm-hmm. of the duo Great Big World. And they had the song Say Something with Christina Aguilera last year, which was a huge hit. And this is like eight years after I had initially worked with him. And it was some of the same music that I was pitching back then. Now it's like doing really well. And um, that's awesome to see. (laughs) We'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. Whether you are in business for yourself and you're a startup or you're a big company and you've been around for a while or if you're just an individual that needs a website, you have probably already learned it can be pretty crazy and stressful to make a website that meets the demands of today's consumer. From hard to use site builders to expensive web developer costs, 
Here at For the King, our basic custom web design and hosting starts at just $37. You heard us right, a fully custom site for $37. Head to our website at www.fortheking.co. Once again, that's www.fortheking.co. And we're back on the record. Talk a little bit about how you, so you're going to school, you're managing bands. How are you balancing all of that within yourself? Because, you know, that can be like, you know, taking on like three full-time jobs. Yeah, that, that was about right because I also did have a part-time job too while I was in school. But um, I'm not good at being bored. I'm not good at having downtime. I just, I think that's just how I've always been. I like it when my days move quickly and, you know, I don't have to look at the clock and I'm just constantly doing different things. So that was kind of the only way I wanted to do things. So, and for me, it was all very exciting. I mean, I loved grad school. I had a different excitement for it than I did in college. In college, I was sort of like, let me just get through this, you know? Um, (laughs) let me hide in the back of the room and hope that the teacher doesn't call on me and let me just do my papers and kind of get through this. Mm-hmm. And then in grad school, it was like, I don't know, maybe because I was working for a few years, I kind of started appreciating what student life had to offer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm a student again. This is wonderful, you know, and I became the person like sitting in the front row and asking lots of questions and, you know, and I don't know, I was just energized by it. And plus, I was living in the East Village and, you know, just going to shows all the time. And I was studying the music industry. And I don't know, it didn't, none, none of it felt like work. I just was completely energized by all of it. So in grad school, that's when you wrote your thesis on artists in, equ- in equities? That's right. Yeah. That okay. was kind of the launching point for the for the business, kind of my senior thesis showing how you know, the industry has been democratized through the internet because, you know, I started grad school in 05, you know, and it was sort of like everything started bubbling up then online for artists. And so it was a really cool time to see all this access open up. And um, yeah, sort of kind of like the anti-corporate, you know, um, move in the, in the music industry where it's sort of like, I don't need a major label. I can do so much on my own now. So that was sort of what I focused on. Do you really think that's true, that you can do a lot on your own without a label? Because I'm still thinking that a little bit of old school still holds the key for, like, for breaking big. Like, you need to get your song on radio. Um, right. And then it needs to be successful on radio. And that's, right. like, tons, it's tons of money to do that. And, and everybody's still, the bottom line is the numbers. What are your numbers? Whether it's booking a show and your draw or, you know, are, are you nationally known? It's, it's still always a numbers game. So, I mean, right. and, and now that the numbers have expanded because you've got so many people who are, like, you know, they can just use GarageBand and create an mm-hmm. album, put it out on the internet, it may not be that yeah, great. completely now, saturated now, right. Right, exactly. So, you know, how can you break through? I mean, I think there's still, I think there's still some inequities in there. Well, absolutely, of course. Um, I think, though, that there's, it depends on the level that you're going for. It depends on if you're focusing just on money or if you're focusing on fame, um, which are, you know, two very different measures of success. You know, mm-hmm. um, because I was working for artists that were making very good money without labels. Um, I worked for a band called Clap Your Hands Say Yeah out of Brooklyn, and they were on the cover of Billboard magazine because they sold over 100,000 records with no label. They did mm. it all themselves. And, yeah, they weren't, you know, world famous. They weren't on the radio, but they were touring and they were selling independent records and you know we did a breakdown like and I've done this with my students before too where you kind of break down okay here's how much money you can make if you just sell a hundred thousand records but you're keeping seven bucks a record versus okay how much how many more records do you have to sell if you're with a label and you're only getting a buck fifty a record mm, you know so yeah. it's like you might be getting more fame and more recognition with the label but you're not necessarily making more money yeah. So it depends on what your goals are, you know, and I worked, you know, when I was working for Michael Hausman, I worked, you know, I saw some of Amy Mann's business 
And she was always kind of a poster child for independent music, and she had her own label. And, um, you know, it's like she she's not like a name that everybody on the street knows, but she reached this level where she could, you know, continue touring and selling independently, and you make such a greater percentage um, off of what you do sell. So it's sort of like, do you want to make more off selling less, or do you want to make less off of selling more? Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I've 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 been there, kind of seeing the different levels of success, and I I don't know. I I used to use Ingrid Michaelson as an example too, because she was coming out of Long Island around the time when I was starting my business, and you know, she wasn't on a label, but she was touring and she was making a ton of money off of sync. She was getting her music placed in Grey's Anatomy and, you know, she had some huge plays. She was on an Old Navy commercial campaign. I mean, she made a ton of money off of sync licensing and public performance royalties and she was not signed to a label. And labels were coming after her left and right and she just was sort of like, you know what, I don't, I don't feel the need to sign with you because I'm just mm-hmm. going to give up a greater chunk of what I'm making. I'd rather yeah. make what I have now. You know, she, you know, she wrote the finale song for Grey's Anatomy, you know, and she sold a ton of downloads after that. So, yeah, it's just sort of what are your goals? She's not the most famous person around, but I think she's making a pretty decent living. So you've done some, uh, ju- judged some band competitions and stuff like that. What do you kind of feel about those? Because Sometimes I, I feel like those are maybe not fair, almost yeah. like it's a, it's a who you know kind of thing. Like, I don't know, what, what's your, how, how, what, what do you think about those? I guess it depends on which one it is. So I yeah. got involved with one when I was at NYU. It's called the UK, what was it called? The uh, <laughs> UK Brit Bus Tour Competition or something. So it was this woman from London who um, came to America and she bought one of those British red double-decker buses, and she wanted to (laughs) tour it around America and promote British music. And so she approached NYU when I was a grad student there, and she said, I want want NYU's help with, like, doing the band competition and doing the A&R, because she kind of felt, like, too close to it to select who the artist would be. Mm -hmm. So I I respect that, because she kind of gave it off to a third party and said, okay, you guys select the winners. And so we actually... I was in a, an A&R class, and we got to design the contest. And so we got to choose what the parameters were of how we were going to judge the bands. And she gave us tons of entries. I mean, and so we just, I mean, I don't remember. It was like, you know, hundreds of bands that had submitted for this. And it was up to us to figure out the selection process and how we were going to find the winner. And so that was actually it, it didn't matter who you knew because we were just in a room together just going through band by band and trying to pick who we really thought had the most potential and who really represented, you know, British music. And so they had zero connection to us. And, you know, so we ended up being the judges for that um, competition several times after getting involved through NYU. And were these were American bands that sounded British? No, these were all British bands. British bands in the they U.S.? Were, all British? No, actually, they flew them. They flew the winners out from uh, England. So oh, okay. It was all all British bands, but she wanted to choose like the top up and coming British bands to to go on this tour with her. Ah, okay, I got it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice yeah, idea. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. And NYU has a London program too. So, I mean, I study abroad every chance I get. So, I did the <laughs> NYU in London class. <laughs> You're seeing a trend. Yeah. Um, and so we actually got to go and, and see a lot of the bands perform live and, you know, get involved in the music scene there, which was great. Yeah. Did you do anything yeah, while you depends. were there? Um, I mean, just more talent scouting for the most part. Um, but I was there taking a class. It was like a, it was a two week intensive class over the winter, oh, okay. Okay. um, winter break. Yeah. Not a great yeah. time to be in London. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not, not recommend. the best time. <laughs> yeah. Don't go to London in January. I was, you know, I have a very gloomy <laughs> memory of London. So um, back to licensing a little bit. Um, do you feel that maybe licensing is the new A&R department? Big time. I mean, I think that's a great way to make money and get attention from tastemakers. I mean, 
you don't have to go through a label to do licensing. There's a lot of independent licensing companies that have really good catalogs um, that will help pitch your music. So yeah, I mean, I it's sort of like the new radio too. I mean, if you're one of those people that doesn't listen to radio a whole lot, you're still hearing a lot of music on TV. So mm-hmm. and maybe I'm just one of those people that always pays attention to that. But man, I love it when I discover new music through a TV show. I mean, I know like I'd be watching Breaking Bad or something, and I'm just like Googling to find out who the artist was because I'm like, what a unique song, you know? And um, so, yeah, I think it's just another method of discovering new music. And it kind of stays with you when you, I, I think, it's when you pair it with a visual. And I'm sure there's psychological mm-hmm. studies out there to, you know, mm-hmm. yep. prove or disprove that. But, you know, when you connect a song to a visual, it, like, has an even more powerful emotion. So I think it mm-hmm. makes it even more memorable than just hearing a song in the background of something. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely trying to create an emotion because emotion is what's going to create an action. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Defi- it's definitely psychological. More. Yeah, psychological is behind that for sure. <laughs> Programming. <Right. laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, we haven't talked about this. Um, mentors. I saw a video with you and you were talking about the importance of having a mentor. Did you ever have a mentor on your way up through the ranks? I did. I had quite a few mentors. Um, I have, I'll tell you one story because I think it kind of ended up pretty cool. Um, (laughs) I met a woman um, in New York when I was first starting up um, my licensing and management company because I was really looking to network with music supervisors um, because that's who I wanted to pitch music to. So I used to go to these like free panels that BMI and ASCAP would put on for their songwriters because they were open to the public and they were free. So I went there, they were doing a, you know, music licensing panel and it had music supervisors on there. And so I met one of the supervisors at the end and um, just introduced myself and, and um, kind of stayed in touch with her because we, I knew her intern, like I went to NYU with her former interns. So we kind of had a mutual friend and um, it turned out like, actually, after I moved back to Orlando, I saw that she was doing another panel at the Florida Film Festival. And this is when I still had my licensing company. And so I reached out to her and I was like, hey, remember we met in New York and we have this mutual friend and I see you're in Orlando. I'd love to, you know, take you out to lunch while you're here. And I know she did not remember me, but um, she said, oh, sure, you know, let's meet up at the festival, you know. And so I just showed up and kind of looked for her and I ended up finding her and she was real sweet with me. And she said, you know, are you going to the industry party later on? You know, maybe we can catch up there and, and talk more. And I didn't have a ticket, so she called her friend over. She's like, oh, get get her a ticket to the industry party, you know. And so I ended up kind of almost being like her sidekick for this industry party. We ended up hanging out for the evening. And, um, you know, I got a lot of good advice from her just about the the film music industry and kind of projects she was working on and what kind of – in my mind, turned her into a mentor and kind of solidified the relationship was she, when she found out that I actually worked as the assistant to the director at NYU when I was there for school, I was the uh, music business director's assistant, and she really wanted to teach a music supervision seminar at NYU. And Mm. so she was like, do you think you could introduce me to the director so that I could pitch, you know, my music supervision seminar? I'd really like to do that. And so... I was like, absolutely. So I sent a nice introductory email because, strangely enough, my other very strong mentor was the music business director at NYU. Mm. And so I introduced them. And it was sort of like after I did that one favor for her, she was just like the gates blew wide open. And she just was always there for me. And she offered me jobs. Like she um, gave me contract advice. Like she, I don't know, it was just sort of like she turned into my mentors. Like she she felt like she wanted to give back something to me since I had helped her out. And, um, like she even told me, Oh, if I get too busy with projects, like I'll just start sending projects your way, you know? And, um, she told me about kind of these inside, you know, terms of music licensing contracts I had never heard before. So she ended up being my go-to person to ask questions for. So where I like the story, I know it's kind of long, but um, <laughs> I stayed in touch with her over the years because I've actually sent her interns um, after they've graduated from Full Sail. So she's had quite a few of my former students as interns. And so we kind of casually kept in touch over the years. And um, I got a call just a couple months ago that she was going to be in our recording studio here at Full Sail. 
oh, and wow. that she wanted me to stop by. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, what a coincidence. So I went over to the studio. It turns out Steve Miller of the Steve Miller Band was there recording, and she was with him. And so oh, I wow. got to sit in on this recording session with Steve Miller, and I, nobody even knew he was on campus. It was like a lockdown secret. You know, his tour bus was parked <laughs> outside, but nobody even knew that's who was inside. Wow. And it turned out he was going from Jacksonville to um, Tampa, and he had to re-record some audio for the show that he had done back in Austin. I believe it was for PBS. And he needed to stop at a studio somewhere and re-record some audio. And so somebody on their crew suggested Full Sail. And so they stopped at Full Sail, did a quick recording session, and Janice, my friend, my mentor, remembered that I worked here. So she reached out to me. And so turns out she's married to Steve Miller now. And I had oh no my gosh. idea. Wow. So I ended up going to the show with them, and I got to <laughs> hang out on the tour bus with them backstage before the show. And I was like, this is surreal. You just never know where, like, a relationship with somebody, you never know where you might end up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It shows the importance of relationships and the importance of um, – it, it sounds like you're very – uh, go-getter kind of so you're always looking for an opportunity where you can put yourself in a position where you're going to be meeting people um, yeah. where you can form those relationships and and Definitely. get mentors and I like that. I'm a big believer I'm a really big believer in doing favors for people um, I, I tell my students that all the time I'm like do favors for people whenever you can because you never know when they might be able to return a favor for you you know it's kind of like good karma. You know, you put it out there in the world, you do favors for people, you know, probably four out of five will never do a favor back for you, but somebody else might remember that and they might call you for something years down the road. And, you know, it's just because you planted that seed and you're, you're kind of known as a, a positive person who's willing to help. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. My theme for the year is Say Yes to Success. And guess what? Our annual International Conference and Business Expo that's coming up August 6th through the 9th, we're going to have not only a wonderful lineup of speakers and thought leaders like CNN's Soledad O'Brien or Matthew Knowles, the famous father of the famous Beyonce, and Gene Smart from Designing Women, this year, you are going to be part of the experience. This is one of, if not the only conference that will balance your experience between learning from the wisdom of great speakers to hands-on living it through laser coaching, journaling, and interacting and sharing with other conference attendees. Oh yeah, and we have the best party in town on Saturday night, dancing till you drop to one of the best bands in Dallas. Visit eWomenNetwork.com for details and how you can be part of this life-changing experience as you embrace your yes to success. Beautiful job, eWomen. Do you like to travel? Would you like to travel more frequently? How about even having your own personal travel agent, including having 24-7 access to a very user-friendly website to book your travel as well? Look no further than Discount Travel Vacation. Robert Hernandez Jr. is a certified travel consultant and can help you with any of your travel needs. Anything from travel transportation by air, train, or car through well-known companies you have probably used at some time in your life. Also, pages and pages of hotels to choose from that you would normally stay at. The differences in booking your travel with Discount Travel Vacation is the one-on-one -on -one care you get from having your own personal travel agent to the very engaging website to book your travel through to the many discounts you will have access to. There are also lots of other travel options to choose from, such as vacation packages and cruises. Do not delay. Check out his site today, discounttravel.paycation.com. And we're back on the record. So it doesn't sound like, but there could be. Did you have any challenges and obstacles as you were moving through your whole career path here? I mean, probably the biggest challenge is making money, to be honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I always, you know, I kind of always had multiple jobs. I was always doing a lot of things at once. I think in my mind, if I would have 
achieved exactly what I was going for, I would have been able to make good money doing my one business. But that never really happened. It was always a side business or it was always like I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm making money to supplement doing this. And, you know, I like that because it keeps it interesting and I'm not just doing the same thing all the time. But I also always thought it would just be nice to just kind of run one business for a long time. And, um, you know, when I moved... The, the funny thing is, too, you know, love will change things up, too, you know, because mm-hmm. when you're single and you're not worried about anybody else, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I met my my future husband, my current husband. I met him um, when I was finishing up grad school. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to live in New York. I'm going to have this great career in music. I'm going to do all this. I had no plans to move back to Orlando, which is my hometown. But, you know, I met my husband, and he was from here, too, and he actually moved to New York for a while and kind of gave it, gave it a go and didn't love it, and he convinced me to move back to Orlando. And the people I was working with in New York, they were, like, appalled. They're like, how can you move to Orlando? You're going to kill your career. You're just getting started. Like, why, why would you stop it now? And it's sort of like, you know, when you, when you fall in love with somebody and, you know, you, you do things like that. So... I ended up moving back to Orlando, which was the last thing I thought I would do. And the good thing is it's turned out well. We've been together almost 10 years, and we have two kids now. And and now I wouldn't be anywhere else, you know. So, I mean, if it, if there's challenges, then, yeah, it's about really building a career that you can make money off of. You know, when I moved back here, I still had my business, but I just didn't have the same momentum that I had in New York, you know. Mm-hmm. And my business partner moved to Chicago. So, you know, we were kind of split and we were both sort of doing side jobs too. So it was like we both did the business part-time and then we did something else part-time. So that was actually when I started teaching at Full Sail um, to Orlando in 2007. And that was the same year that the music business bachelor's program launched at Full Sail. And mm. so I kind of thought, well, that, that sounds cool. Why don't I teach a music business class while I do my business? So I started doing that, and then the more involved I got in my classes and in the world of academia, the kind of less I devoted to my business. And that's when, mm-hmm. at some point, you know, we just kind of decided as business partners to dissolve it and go our own ways, and that's when I started my music business consulting company and decided I wasn't going to manage artists anymore. I just thought, you know, I can't commit to artists like I was able to before, you know, mm-hmm. because managing artists, it is like being married to somebody. It's like Mm -hmm. being married to the artist. You know, you are involved in every aspect of their career. You're like, you know, you have to be on call for anything at any time. And when you really do get married, it's hard to keep those relationships up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, you know, I decided I was like, I don't want to be this involved in these artists anymore. And it kind of like hurt me to even admit that. Mm. But I was like, you know, I'd, I'd rather just be a consultant to them. So I ended up kind of changing up how I was doing it and launched the music business consulting company and just decided, you know what, I'm going to set an hourly rate for my services and I'll pick and choose who I want to work with. That's a challenge because I kind of gave up on the dream of having this company and having that be my full gig. But, you know, it's like you you just can't plot everything 100%. You have to kind of go with the changes in your life and kind of figure it out as you go. And you don't know what lies ahead. You know, there, there still exactly. could be opportunity You can't predict it. Exactly. Yeah. And I would have never thought that I would end up in my position now, but I love what I do, and I still get to talk about the music industry all the time. I actually started an artist development, like, company that our students run in the music business program, so I'm still doing a lot of the same things. It's just in a different context now. So what's the hardest lesson you've had to learn so far? I guess the hardest thing for me is not putting myself and my own career first. You know, now that I do have kids and a husband and all that, you know, and I have a staff, I have a staff of 45 people that I oversee. It's like, you know, when you're in your 20s and you're kind of launching your career, it's really nice to be able to have the luxury of being selfish. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as you get older and you get more responsibilities, you know, you have to like kind of put yourself a little bit on the back seat. You know what I mean? Like now my kids come before anything else and I would love to be at industry events and shows all the time and everything, but you know, I have young kids, so I've had to give up some of that. Um, 
but it's all kind of a, a balancing act, you know. So I've given up some things, but I've gained so much, you know, that I didn't have back then. Mm-hmm. So it's not really regrets. No it's regrets. Just it's just changes. It's just changes yeah. and kind of having to rebalance your life at different stages, you know. And, you know, I'm sure at some point when the kids go off to school and I'm an empty nester, I can kind of rebalance things a little bit. And maybe I'll start signing artists again, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you had to do it all over again, what is the one thing that you would do differently? Or is there anything you would do different at all? I don't know that I would do anything differently. Maybe I would have found Lady Gaga at NYU. <laughs> <laughs> because I swear, you know, that was, it was like, I think right around the time when I was leaving New York, when I was graduating from NYU, that's when she was starting to get attention. So yeah, I would have gone, if I go back in time, I would go find her at one of those open mics or one of her <laughs> classes or something. And I would have signed her and I would be managing her. <laughs> So final words of wisdom for our listeners. What can you share with us? Oh, gosh. I would just say, you know, you can map out everything that you want to do in life, but you can't predict it, and it's going to completely change, and you're going to end up doing something that maybe you never imagined before, but you kind of just have to go with your gut and go with your passion and see where it takes you. You know, I never thought I would be a teacher. I actually actively did not want to be a teacher. (laughs) But my love for the music business, it just was so much fun to teach the music business, you know. And I realized how much I love being in a university and working with students and all that. So it's like I would have never plotted this for myself. But it actually has worked out perfectly because I think I'm in the perfect position to, you know, support my family and live the family life that I want to, but still kind of keep one foot in the industry. So you just kind of, sometimes you have to let go of the plan a little bit and kind of go with your gut and let it take you where where the universe wants to take you. (laughs) Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who've been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.